Welcome to Lions Radio Network, where the show takes you on a roaring adventure with entertaining and stimulating topics focusing on entertainment, sports, business, world news, along with many other topics. Whatever your interests are, you will find them right here on Lions Radio Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Lions Radio Network right here on iHeartRadio. I am your host, Donna Lyons, with my co-host, Ray Patterson. Hi, Ray. How's it going down there in Florida? Hey, Donna. It's going good. It's a beautiful day today. Yeah. You guys always have the nice weather. It's freezing where I'm at. I'm wearing a turtleneck. <laughs> Me and a turtleneck. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to I'm not going to tell you that it's 78 degrees cuz that would be a jerk thing to say. So I'm not going to say it. <laughs> oh my god, Ray. I'm so excited about our guest. His name is Zorro, Zorro the drummer. And he has spent four decades performing with artists like Lenny Kravitz, Bobby Brown, Frankie Valli in the Four Seasons, New Edition, Lisa Marie Presley, and the list just goes on. He's also been voted the number one R&B drummer in the world numerous times and is the author of The Big Gig, Big Picture Thinking for Success, and Soar, Nine Proving Keys for Unlocking Your Limitless Potential. And now he's got a new book out. It's called Maria's Scarf. It's a memoir of a mother's love, a son's perseverance, and dreaming big. And it's a beautiful and transformative memoir. It's the incredible story of a mother's love, a family's unbreakable bond, and a starry-eyed boy who's never lost sight of his dreams. And he is here to tell us all about it today. Welcome, Zorro. Thank you so much for having me, Donna. Thank you, guys. It's an honor and privilege to be here with you today. Well, congratulations on the book. The book is the. I didn't know if your phone cut out. We were having. We were, we were just talking before going on air about phone issues. <laughs> um, no, congratulations on the book. And I know you said you just finished the audio part, and that's one of the things that um, I ordered was the audio version because I drive so much, and it's just better for me. And I know I'll listen to the whole thing. But one of the things before we go into why you wrote the book, one of the things that I loved um, on your website is that there's a snippet of you reading the book and then there's pictures that go along with it and happen to be in Washington, D.C., where I'm from right now. That's where I'm at. Um, And so I want to talk about that. But can you tell the listeners what the book is about? Yes, the book, uh, first of all, I've been working on it for 15 years, uh, but in in reality, very hard over 15 years. But in reality, I've been writing it for over 50 because I started a diary when I was 10 years old and I kept up oh, with wow. it in my early 20s. So, and when I was when I was writing the diary as a kid, I had no idea that one day those entries would be in a memoir. So, I've really been chronicling my life for my entire life. But really, the the book is a tribute to my single immigrant mother who raised seven children alone with no fathers here in the United States, and it's really this, it's just a beautiful love story between a mother and a son, and the incomparable love of a mother and a son, and how she championed my dreams and, and always spoke things to me that made me think I could do something special with my life, even though the circumstances around me showed completely different. Then it's about my family's unbreakable bond. I just, my six siblings and I, we survived, uh, you know, fatherlessness. Uh, at one point, we lived in a a car. We lived in a 1962 Chevy Nova when we moved from Compton to Oregon. So the the story, it's an epic story, very evocative, very emotional. It will have you 
laughing and crying. Uh, sometimes people ask me to describe it in four words, and I would say it is heartwarming, heartbreaking, hilarious, and yet hopeful. So it's really it's a universal story of just overcoming. So it has the kind of a feel. If you were watching it as a movie, it's, it's, it's like somewhere between Rudy Rocky, The Blind Side, meets Forrest Gump. And uh, that's the story. It's, it's <laughs> an overcoming it. story. That's, yeah, it's, just, it's an underdog story. Yeah, it, and it really is from what I've been looking at on, online. Um, tell us about the scarf. Yes, well, my mother was a, a very uh, elegant woman, even though we grew up in, in Compton in poverty. My mother, in her, in her past, she was actually the daughter of a Supreme Court justice in Mexico City. So she actually came from a family, an aristocratic diplomatic family. So even though I grew up dirt poor with no father and no money, uh, she carried herself with a lot of dignity, and she always loved to wear scarves. And so um, when I was about to go into the second grade, it was time for my school pictures. And I always thought she looked really beautiful and elegant with her scarves. And my mother was my hero. There was no father. There was no, I didn't have uncles, aunts, grandparents. I had none of those people in my life, just my mother and the siblings. So it was very unusual. Uh, but I, one day I said, I said Mama, Mama, I said, you, you look like a movie star. You look like a movie star in your scarf. I, I want to wear your scarf for my school picture. And then she was like, no, Mijo, you can't wear the scarf. The boys will beat you up, you know. And, and, and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, I don't care. I want to. I, I was like a budding rock star inside. I wasn't even a musician then, but like I wanted to be different. And so I tried to talk her into it. And I said, "Well, Elvis Presley wears scarves, and Tom Jones wears scarves, and they're cool." And <laughs> so I finally convinced her to let me wear her orange silk scarf. So I'm probably the only dude in history who's got a second grade school picture where he's wearing his mother's scarf, and it's around my neck. And so. And so she leaned down that morning uh, to, to tie that scarf around my neck, and then she whispered something in my ear that became like a life mantra. She said, one day, my precious son, you will do something phantasmical with your life. And that was the word she used was phantasmical. There's the word, yep. There's the word, phantasmal. So it was kind of her mix of fantastic and amazing. And though she spoke perfect English, sometimes she would mix a couple of words together, and that was like her – her mix of, of that word, fantastic and amazing. She said, you will, you'll do something fantastical with your life. So I felt like at that moment, that was a destiny changer for me because the words that we speak over those we love can carry on to our destiny. You know, they can destroy us or mm -hmm. they can build us. And so it was just, it was just this beautiful moment, but I have, I still wear scarves to this day. Like you'll see in a lot of my pictures, if you go to yeah. the com. You'll see, and, and the scarf is just a reminder of her unending devotion and love to me and our, our siblings, and it makes me feel closer to her, and it's kind of like her little style. It's like a nod, a constant nod to her. So that's where the whole scarf came from. And then a buddy of mine helped me come up with the title of the book because we were trying to go, like, what do we call it, the scarf? The, we had a lot of different titles, and then he's like, <laughs> yeah. what about Maria's scarf? Because then it ties into my mother's name, Maria, the scarf, kind of poetic, kind of mysterious, and that's how we landed on that, and it was all due to the scarf. Now, is she still here? No, she passed away 20 years ago, so when the book comes out, I was out, wondering, and what do you think your out. mom would, what do you think your mom would think of the book? She would just, just she would just be in love with it. First of all, my, my mother was, her dream in her life was to be a movie star, she was an actress in Mexico City, and she was getting lots of bits, parts, and doing really well. And then, of course, it's the typical story. She married the wrong man, and her life completely changed. So her dream was always to 
come to the United States and become a movie star. Well, she never got to do that, but I told my brother the other day, I said, we're going to make Mama famous posthumously. She's April 30th, she's <laughs> going to become famous. And I, and I believe it will be a, a movie and a Netflix series. I said, but we made her famous for something more important, her role as a mother. And every mother in the world is going to love this book, no matter what language you speak, because it is a beautiful, poignant uh, account of, of a mother's love, and every mother knows this love. So she she would just be tickled to death uh, that I wrote something about her that she became somebody whose people would know. And I thought, what what more of a – so it'll be 20 years when the book comes out since she passed. And I promised wow. her I said, one day, Mama, I'll, I'll write a book about you. I'll tell people how wonderful you were and what an incredible mother you were and the things you sacrificed. Aww. And, of course, that's every great mother's story. But, you yeah. know, it's uh, – yeah, and, and, and while I did the audio book, you know, and I was driving to the studio, I would play a lot of her favorite songs. But, but always, music was a big thing in our house, you know, and, and she and yeah. music is how we survived the tough times. So she loved songs, and she used songs to teach me how to dream. She would play like Frank Sinatra's Young at Heart. We would dance when my heart was broken to Glenn Miller's Moonlight Serenade. And so when these songs come on, like, I just weep immediately. I just feel her like presence, and I just feel her spirit. And uh, say again? As it's like a time machine, it takes you right back to the, right back to those moments, you know. Well, and that's what music does, right? Like all of us know where we were at when we heard certain songs in our formative years. We just we immediately go, oh man, I went to that school, and I remember what I was dressing like. So the music, when I was playing her songs on the way to the studio to get into the spirit, I, I just became overwhelmed with emotion. I'm like, Mama, we did it. I'm telling your story, and you know, and so it was beautiful. But music is very important to all of us, and we all it makes an imprint like kind of on your soul. You always know where you were at when you listen to certain songs, right? Yeah, that's very true. You know, when one of the snippets on your website we were, I was just talking about when we came on air was about when you were in Washington, D.C., and you were oh, yeah. looking out at the crowd. Can you tell us a little bit about that moment? Yeah, so that was that's 19, uh, July 4th, 1985. And I was playing with an extremely popular group at the time called the New Edition. And they were like mm-hmm. the Jackson 5 of the 80s. And Bobby Brown was from that group mm-hmm. and Bell Bib DeVoe. And so that was in their heyday. And we played in front of the Washington Monument to literally a sea of humanity. So it was a free concert that the city paid for. And it was just like the, I think the newspaper said the next day, like over a million people or a million and a half people, yeah. whatever. Uh, like it's just everywhere you turn, it looked like the Exodus and Moses or something, you know? And so I just remember uh, being up there going, you know, and I had struggled through many things to, to reach this place where I felt like this was my dream was always to become a drummer. And then, so when I'm up on that stage, we played our hit song, Mr. Telephone man. And then I did like a kind of a drum solo in the middle of it. And the whole time I was thinking, this is for mama, all the things that she did, that she sacrificed, it enabled me to, it's between her and my six siblings that they, it took all of them to hoist me on that stage to where I was able to make it. It was many sacrifices. My, my, uh, my older sister paid for me to go to music college out of her own money. Uh, it was my family sacrificed for me. And so this wow. was like, hey, we came to America. I'm on the stage. It was, it was a televised thing. It was on HBO. And it was just one of those moments where I thought, gee, how is it that a guy with two little pieces of wood, pieces of drumstick, that I'm playing for you know nearly a million or two million people, and they're nodding to the beat of my drums? And while I was there, I thought about, hey, 
Nobody knows about the kid who digged through the dumpsters as he was a kid. Nobody knows about the kid who used to get his clothes out of Goodwill drop-off boxes. Nobody knows that we lived in a car. Nobody knows that uh, my real name, you know, like I was, I'd name yeah. myself Sorrow. But anyway, so all those things hit me, and I was like, this is the beginning of the life. And I had a vision when I was in fourth grade. I was in a talent show, and, uh, and I, I wanted to be in a talent show. I didn't play the drums yet. But I conned my way into being the drummer in the talent show, but I didn't have a set. So I actually played on a card cardboard box, and the kids in the oh. band were mad at me because they thought I had real drums. And I said, you know, I'm sorry, they're in the shop, they're getting fixed, you know, but I'll play on this box because I wanted to be in so bad. And then when I played in the fourth grade, yeah, I'm thinking box, legend, you know. <laughs> it was a big Maytag like refrigerator box and then my, my brothers and sisters drew a drum set on it with, with markers and sparkles and rhinestones and, and, and but but I was happily playing for two million people in my mind. In my mind I saw a sea of humanity and even though it was like thirty people in the audience, you know, mostly your families and, and stuff, but that was like a vision I had when I was a kid. So in nineteen 19- 85 when I was doing that gig it like all came full circle so it was very overwhelming and I still have the backstage passes from that event and and on my website the Maria's the Maria's scarf website that you saw those Mm -hmm. pictures and there's a video on the media page of that actual performance so everything I'm describing in the introduction of the chapter I'm telling I'm taking this story it was 1985 you know and uh, there were people from all races colors creeds and there was one thing that united them that day was the sound of my beat, you know, it was something like that. And then, yeah. and then I, and I tell the whole story, but what I'm describing is what you'll see on that video because it's still on YouTube, you know, new edition live at, uh, you know, Washington DC for the 4th of July. And then those pictures were pictures I took like, you know, from that day just to go like, I'm here and arrive. You know, I was only 23 years old, but it was my first yeah. really, really big, huge gig. So it was just, a, and so I start the book with that whole with that whole story, and then I say oh, no one do. could have dreamed. Okay. Yeah, I start the whole the whole uh, introduction, and I say, but nobody would have known who I really was, you know, what I really, and I thought about all those things where I had come from, and here I was living the American dream because my mother sacrificed to, to bring us here, you know, that kind of a deal. Right. So it's, it's a beautiful uh, introduction, but that what you saw on the website, that is, you know, from that story. Oh yeah, and it I'm I'm not kidding. I was listening to you speaking and then I'm like looking at the pictures too and I had chills from head to toe because wow. I know, you know, we're a military family, so I know what sacrifice is. So I know what the sacrifice of your mother was coming here and just listening to your words and your stories and I just had chills. I was like, do I cry or do I just sit here with chills? I mean, it was just it's so moving oh. <laughs> and and the way you say everything is just so awesome. And I know Ray resonates with you on a level with his mom. He was so close with his mom and he's a musician as well. And I know Ray, you had oh, a couple well. of questions. Yeah. I mean, you know, as a, as a fellow musician, you know, I'm a professional singer and guitarist and, and you know, I, I play bass and piano as well. Um, I know that feeling because I know when I played uh, one of my large shows, the biggest show I played probably fifty thousand or so people, but it, to me it was a million, you know. And yeah, it's like I know that feeling you get though because you're looking out amongst the people, and it, it is overwhelming because it does. It almost makes you want to tear up sometimes because you you don't people don't see the, the how many hours you put into the craft. They don't see um, 
totally. all the time that you don't go out and have fun with your friends. You're you're actually honing your skills, you know, and they don't see the, mm-hmm. the how much life you give away to to reach that level, you know. And so then when you're all, all of a sudden you're out there and and you see that, it is it is a um, it's a mind blowing experience that very few people get to experience, you know, and it is overwhelming. So I, I get it and I can relate to you and, and resonate with you uh, exactly what you're saying, because in my family music was not pushed. I was the weirdo because I was a musician oh, gosh. and because everybody else was real estate, military and all this other stuff. And so uh, to me, there was no support, you know, I had to do everything on my own. But then when I, then when I got older and I started performing, then I got that gratification from my mom or my, my stepfather or somebody. And instead of being ridiculed for it, then I'd hear them bragging to their friends like, oh, my son is, is one hell of a singer. My son is a great guitar yeah. player. Oh, he does this. this. And, and it was like, it, it brings that, that full circle feeling around, you know. And so it, on your story, I, I love the fact that you're, that the music got your family through the hard times. Uh, and so that it, it I, I can't even imagine what that was like. So I, I totally, uh, and just I, I resonate with everything you're saying 100 percent i i experienced it myself so i i know That's where awesome. you're coming from 100 percent. i actually created on spotify you could go to it right now i created a maria scarf official playlist and so i mentioned lots of songs in the book uh throughout the whole book and they're go in chronological order of the chapters so every song that I reference or mention, it could be like something we were casually listening to while we were having dinner or a song my mother played for us mm-hmm. or songs I played at her funeral. It's the official Maria Scarf playlist and, and music, you know, whatever home, whatever tenement we were living in, music was the lifeblood of my family. My mother absolutely loved music. She raised me on, you know, Frank Sinatra. And there's a beautiful chapter in the book, chapter 22, I think it's called Come Fly With Me. So every chapter is named after a song, and that song sort of depicts the theme of that chapter. So, for instance, when we were living in the 1962 Chevy Nova, we were living between that, an 11-foot camper, and then a tent first started in the car. So that the name of that chapter is called Living on a Prayer. <laughs> How appropriate. Oh, <laughs> right. I love you know? it. <laughs> right. You know, and then, and then when I – and so my mother scraped up money because she loved Frank Sinatra, so consequently I ended up loving him because you love whatever you listen to. So when I was 12 years old, she took me to see Frank Sinatra in concert in Portland, Oregon, and it was a life-changing concert. And the name of that chapter is called Come Fly With Me. And um, so all the chapters, the the, the 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 book is not for musicians. It's for mothers. It's for fathers. It's for grandmothers, grandfathers. It's for dreamers, young and old. It's just a book that will inspire people to, uh, and they'll just leave with this sense of, gosh, this was great. It was like, I, this family went through all these horrific things, but in the end, it turned out great. But songs, we wouldn't have made it without music. Music was we we clung on to the lyrics of those songs and my mother would use the words of those songs to teach us about how to dream and how to overcome. So the music and us are, are synonymous with the story, but it's not a book for musicians. And it's not, even though I've played with all these famous people, it's not like a rock tell all. It's not an expose on those people. It's, it's right. a tribute. And, and, and I honor all those people. It's not gossipy. It's, it's deep. It's heartfelt, you know, and, and, and like Ray said, you know, everybody will, get something out of Maria's scarf because the themes are universal. We've all been abandoned. We've all been hurt. We all have people we love. We've all had family. And those are the central core themes, but it's really about overcoming 
and how you overcome the worst circumstances with just a group of people who love and believe in you, which can be your family, or if it's not your family, it's your friends. You know, there's many mentors well, in my life it, that came along. You know. Yeah, and I it's such a, a beautiful story. I have a feeling it's going to be a movie. This is like so uh, – <laughs> it's going to be a movie. I believe it. It's it's My vision is always – to to for it to be a movie and like a, a Netflix series, like a like a series, like a modern day Wonder Years, you know, modern day yes. Walton, you know, it's a family, yes. but it's just more modern. <laughs> it's the sixties, the seventies, and the eighties, as opposed to the Wonder Years was like the fifties and sixties. But every chapter yes. is very episodic in nature, and uh, I mean, I tell you what, anybody who reads it, they will go. I, I, I love this. I had a lot of people. I've had a I had an eighty some year old woman read it. And she said, listen, honey, she's like 89 or something. She said, I, I'm going to start to read your book. But at my age, I'm going to tell you something. If I don't like it right away, I won't read anymore. And I'll just be honest with you because at 89, <laughs> you don't have a lot of time to read a lot more books. So she goes, I'll, if you want me to know what what I think of it, then I'll start it. And then she called me the next day and she said, I started the book at like 7 in the morning. She goes, I took a couple of little tea breaks and a little snack. And she goes, I stayed up to midnight. I read the entire – she said, I could not put it Aww. down. It was that good. So that was a beautiful thing, you know. You know so that's I was like, awesome. That's, that's the 15 uh, years I've got a question for you. writing. Yeah, go ahead, Ray. Now, I'm just, now I know obviously you, you know drums is your thing. Now, so what pushed you towards the drums? I mean, why not – because in that time frame – especially during the 70s and the 80s, everything was guitar, you know, and so why not the guitar or bass or whatnot? What pushed you towards the drums? That was totally a, a DNA uh, gifting. So interestingly, my father abandoned me when I was an infant, and the only thing he – only possession he left me, he left by accident, he left a set of bongos. So my father was a jazz drummer in the style of Buddy Rich, and I never grew up with him, never knew him. Uh, but the DNA of the rhythm was in me. So it wasn't like I picked the drums. The drums picked me from the earliest age. Gotcha. When I went to – my mother took me to see the Supremes and the Temptations, Diana Austin's in concert in the 60s in L.A. in Long Beach. And when I went to that concert and came back from that, the next day I was making a ghetto drum set of Folgers coffee cans, almond roca cans, <laughs> Tupperware spoons. Or in other words, in today's took, terms – a YouTube viral sensation. Exactly. Man, if you were to tell me back then, it would have viral. Because I was, I was carting it around in my red radio flyer wagon. I went to the main busiest intersection in Compton, and I turned on my transistor radio with Wolfman Jack, and I'm playing like Raising to the, Raisin to the Grass, and I'm playing all those 60 soul songs, and I'm, I'm beating on these things with salad spoon. So the, the drums chose me. It was like God's gift to me was like, I'm giving you rhythm. And all I could do after that concert and for the rest of – until I turned – I didn't even start playing until I was 16. So dig this. When I'm 16, I'm, I'm, my after-school job is the janitor at the high school, a very humbling job, not a fun job, and a job where people ridicule you and make fun of you. But that was my two-hour after-school job was cleaning the, the toilets and all that stuff and all the jocks would make fun of me. But the last 10 minutes right. of the job, I was to clean the band room. So I would sneak on the drums at the very end. I never had any lessons. I never played before other than the cardboard box. And I would jam on the drums. And then one day the band director caught me. I thought he was going to fire me because he said, wait right here. Then he went and got another guy. He brought the other guy and said, do what you were doing again, kid. 
And I did. He goes, kid, you're a rhythmic genius. He goes, you, you got talent. I need you in all the school band. So that's how I got an all the school band program because I was always rejected every year because they always had too many drummers. So they said, no, we don't, we don't need any drummers. Even though I never played, I want that's what I wanted to play. So because I was I'm just imagining you school, doing paradiddles on pants, you know? <laughs> yeah, I was just I was just playing. Just, you know, but I I just from day one I had the ability to play. I wasn't great. But there was just a gift in me, like I could hear rhythm and, and independence. And so really I was discovered by my high school band director because I was the janitor, you know. And then that's that's how mm-hmm. I got into the school band program, not not the traditional way where they get you in at fourth grade. Because every year I tried to get in, they wouldn't let me in. They would say, no, you can't play. I've got 45 dollars. So they would just turn me away. And, uh, yeah, so that's what I mean. It's an it's a fairly epic story, the whole thing of how all the different things. That's why I feel like the real Forrest Gump in many ways. <laughs> it's oh, like true, it. and I, I like cannot wait to read it. I hate to do this, guys, but we are running out of time. And, Zorro, thank you so much for coming on. I wish you the best of luck with this, and I hope that if they do make it into the movies, you will uh, come back and talk to us again. Of course I will. And thank you so much for the joy and privilege of sharing my story and giving me so much time. It's been an honor and a privilege. I wish you guys the best thank on you. everything you're doing. And, and uh, keep, keep an eye out for it because it's going to be – your word's going to come true. It is eventually going to be a movie and a Netflix series. I believe that. Oh, I already see it. I already know. Zorro, thank you so much for taking time with us. You have a great rest of your day. You too, Donna. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, guys. Take care and God bless. Bye-bye. God thank bless. Thank you, Zorro. God bless Bye-bye. you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wow, he is amazing. I know that's going to be a movie. That whole everything yeah. from beginning to end, the story. And he's right when you say it's like the Forrest Gump. I mean, it's kind of like that story. So I can't wait. I just ordered it today on um, Amazon and um, can't wait for it to come out. Ray, thank you so much for joining me, as usual. Our Ray of Sunshine. Always my pleasure. Always here a at pleasure, Lions my Radio Network. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, I'm going to let you go, and I'm going to say goodbye to all our lovely listeners. Everyone, have a great rest of your day. Ray, thank you so much. Love you to pieces. And, um, guys, join us tomorrow. I have a special show tomorrow, and I will let you know what that is. Talk to you later, everyone. Bye, everyone.